Hello, and welcome to the Fearless Storyteller Podcast. I'm your host, Ethan Freckleton. Have you ever noticed how fear stops us from creating and sharing our best work? Join the Fearless Storyteller as we explore the heart and soul of writing stories, songs, and scripts that sell with the people who write them. Each guest has their own unique hero's journey and insights into the intersections between limiting beliefs and success. What's my story? In 2007, I was divorced, in debt, stuck in a soul-sucking job, desperate to have a meaningful, fulfilling life, but not sure where to begin. I made a simple choice at the time, to start honoring my yes and to start speaking my no. Consequences be damned. After all, how could my life possibly get any worse? I began the long path of becoming a professional songwriter, finding my fearless voice along the way. Now, I'm living my dream life as a husband, father, and professional storyteller. When songwriter Matt Butler started ninth grade at a new school, he was also gifted his first guitar. For a self-conscious kid needing validation and affirmation, music was the perfect remedy. A chance to feel, express, and communicate his internal experiences. Matt started out playing punk rock, but by 2016 he'd come into his own as a singer-songwriter, and he stumbled into a steady gig performing for the incarcerated populations around his region. And just a year later, he was named a 2017 leader in mental health awareness by the National Alliance on Mental Illness. Even as he was receiving accolades for his work supporting others with his music, Matt was quickly pushing himself to the brink of burnout. As he eventually realized, to quote Carl Jung, we need to resolve our own darkness before we can save the world. So what's different from Matt in 2020, especially in the midst of the coronavirus? And how have his perspectives on being a professional songwriter shifted? Let's find out. Matt Butler. Welcome to the Fearless Storyteller podcast. Thank you, Ethan. Appreciate that. Thank you for having me. Hey, it's my pleasure. And for people who may not know who you are, who are listening, um, what do you want to say about yourself? Uh, I am a singer-songwriter from New York City. And how does one come to be a singer-songwriter from New York City? <laughs> the, the, the epic origin story. Um, I was, doesn't have to be epic. <laughs> well, you know, we're on the fearless, fearless storyteller. I feel like, you know, there's a lot of pressure there. <laughs> nah, it's cool. But yeah, no, yeah, feel free. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I, <laughs> I started, uh, I, play, I mean, I've played music. I, I grew up here. I'm born and raised in New York City in, okay. in, Manhattan, in Manhattan, like a mm. real a city kid as you can be. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, grew up playing in punk rock bands and, uh, you know, sort of like the last generation, I think, of people that got to play places like CBGB's and all ages shows at Arlene's Grocery and stuff like that. And mm. um, grew up 
doing that kind of thing and then and and played in in uh, in rock bands you know most of my young life and uh a few years ago you know my i think it's kind of natural for projects to evolve and tastes to evolve and things like that and mm. i started writing different kinds of songs and started putting my own music out under under just my name uh in 2016. Mm. kind of going going back like were you always a a songwriter or like like how did you get kind of pulled in well i think that uh i was always intrigued by music you know i can remember as like a you know as my earliest memories like being in the car with my mom or a you know babysitter or something and and you know being completely like captivated by whatever music they were playing hmm. but um i didn't start playing music I, I didn't start really playing an instrument or anything until i was like 14 or 15 years old um i would say that you know i was actually really intimidated by music um at a young age and hmm. uh was very very frightened to even try um you know i did i, I tended to, to like gravitate towards things that came easier to me mm -hmm. uh, you know and and as a young guy i actually did you know it was very naturally good at academics and at sports mm -hmm. so there was less risk involved to uh you know play baseball and to wrestle and and you know and so forth than there was in in trying to play music so mm. I, I that's where a lot of my early energies went yeah uh, that's that's resonating for me and i'm curious why if you can remember and tap into why it felt risky yeah i mean i think that uh as a kid i don't know i mean i think always like as long as I can remember, I've always felt, you know, a certain degree of self-consciousness or, or a sense of being, I don't know, uh, you know, I don't know, not feeling good about myself. So I think mm -hmm. I, 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 I tended to go, you know, towards the things that I received validation and affirmation for. So like if I mm -hmm. was succeeding, you know, if I got good grades and, you know, I was a pretty good writer, actually, so I could do well in English and in history and things like that. And, you know, and I would get uh, affirmed for those things and mm. make, make me feel better about myself versus taking a risk and trying to play some music, whereas I might not, you know, in my mind, have a, have a high likelihood of <laughs> succeeding or doing it well. Right. You know? And uh, it seemed too risky to, to, to do that, you know, and not and not kind of get the pat on the back that i was looking for if that makes sense yeah it does and i don't know if it like for me growing up i don't know if it was the same for you but this seemed like in terms of media attention that there is a high premium placed on child prodigies <laughs> yeah sure yeah is that resonating and then like maybe you pick up a guitar or open your mouth to sing and like like it's not easy right like there's a whole all these muscles and <laughs> coordination involved right well i mean yeah i'm still struggling with that today you know i'm like it's music is still something that i don't consider something that comes easy to me 
But I, yeah. I think, I think that that like myth of like the prodigy is interesting and that resonates with me because I, I certainly always wanted to be that, mm. you know, that's that sort of, um, I, I, I actually, you know, as I grew up, I gravitated very strongly to both sort of like those archetypes, like the, the prodigal son, like I was very willful and rebellious at one point, in, you know, in my starting in my early teens. Mm. And I, I loved kind of like, you know, rebel characters, but simultaneously, I, I also, there's a big part of me that was always looking for the gold star mm. and, and wanted to be, you know, wanted to stand out from the, from other people. Um, right. Right. And I guess in some ways those are polar opposites of the same existence, maybe. I mean, I think they overlap in that they're both attention seeking, <laughs> you mm. know, like, Mm-hmm. They're both they're both very much attention seeking modes of being. Yeah. But they do uh you know they they are they are sort of polar polarities as well if you if you think about it. But I but I definitely like could could inhabit both at you know at a given moment. I definitely as I got older, inevitably I like fit more into this kind of like rebellious mold than I did when I was younger. Mm. But but you know, there was still this desire to like excel you know yeah i and i guess punk rock would would fit the bill for that right if you're performing out you get to be be the rebel and get the attention and the gold stars maybe yeah yeah no exactly i mean i i think that uh that that outfit that's that you know the that kind of presentation had a huge amount of appeal to me you know and it provided me a lot yeah, do you remember your first band? How you fell into that? Yeah, technically the very first group I played in, I was in like ninth grade. I just switched to a brand new school, and um, I, you know, I when I bought an instrument, I bought a guitar, and I was an electric guitar. Or I should say my mom bought it for me, and I was super pumped about it, and mm. started writing songs immediately, and tried mm. to put a band together immediately because I I never was concerned really about and I never had a concern about being a great guitar player. I just like desperately wanted to write songs and be in a band. Mm-hmm. So a friend of mine who is sort of my a new friend, but a, like my closest friend at my new school, just sort of, we like kind of decided like, you're going to learn bass. <laughs> you've got to, you've got to do that now. He had been a cello player. So he actually picked it up real fast. Mm-hmm. And then we just like found we were like, you know, who, who plays drums and we put a group together and, um, started writing original songs right off the rip, but also did like Nirvana, a lot of Nirvana covers and Pixie oh, yeah. covers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, no Metallica in there. They're too old for, or, yeah. Too hard, man. It's too hard. <laughs> That's fair. It's I remember, I remember one of my first like quote unquote band moments, right? There was, you know, it was brought in some guy because he could play slap bass. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. But, but that was all he could do. <laughs> that's, that's that's probably all he still can do. You know. <laughs> well, I don't know. You know, I think we all start with something. You know, we we all walk into the room with that one thing we can do, right? Yeah. yeah well, so, <laughs> so why original songs? Like out of the gate, it's not always a conventional choice. 
Yeah, no, and it's been interesting because it's it's on some level it's been limiting to me because I've actually resisted learning other people's music at, at a long for long phases of my career. I'm actually mm-hmm. doing a lot more learning and analyzing of other people's music now more more so than I ever have. Mm-hmm. But um, I I just that was that was just why I did it. Like I didn't even really care about a guitar at all. Like it's it was just a vehicle, you know. It was just like a it was just a a container you know it was just a, like a, a means for me to express something and I, and mm. I don't know what it was if it was like a desperate thing to just like be you know if it was it was a, you know a lot of it was definitely about attention seeking I think I felt and I still feel today like very unseen by people so I think mm. I wanted I wanted that feeling of people mm. kind of you know I, I, like the process of like making what's internal external like i wanted people to try to understand my internal experience of them mm. and of the world and yeah you know, i don't think i would have said it that way then but you know i just had i just felt compelled i felt like i had something to say yeah and and out of curiosity maybe um, i imagine you definitely didn't know this when you were in ninth grade but like I'm curious why that would be safer than right as this the safer means of externalizing what you're feeling than say having a conversation or being vulnerable in in one to one in group settings right sure um well i think that i probably did some of that i mean like there's always this classic like stay up all night talking kind of hangs with you, mm. friends, you know, yeah. and drinking beer and stuff. And, but I, but I also think that as a 15 year old, um, one playing, you know, there's just a level of energy and, and like sort of like visceralness that needs to accompany the expression. Cause I, at that age I was just like bursting out of my skin to, mm. to just kind of feel and express and communicate. So yeah. there had to be like a high energy component to it and yeah a performance component to it for sure but i think also as a 15 year old i don't know how much self-awareness i had in, in a way of like being able to express myself in in a way that would be more authentic or not not that i was dishonest then but i just you know i, I don't i don't think as a 15 year old i possessed the self-awareness that i i would have needed to truly express what I was going through. No, and, and that all makes a lot of sense. And and I imagine, you know, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but there's some component of that that carries forward to today, right? Yeah. I'm still know. writing songs and, sure. and performing, right? Sure. Yeah. And so, you know, you, you trace this arc from punk rock to rock bands as you get older to kind of more of this solo songwriter mold. And it seems like maybe there's an emotional arc to that. Um, to that, and I'm curious if you see that play out in others as well as yourself. You know, is this just a natural progression to go from high energy, you know, angry rebel music to to really vulnerable and insightful lyrics? Yeah. Well, I think. Uh, well, I. I I appreciate that. If, you know, if you're saying that you find the lyrics to be insightful, thank you. Yeah. Um, but I would say that, 
Yeah, I mean, I I think that there's a real corollary between personal and emotional and spiritual development and the artistic output. You know, I think that a lot of times for me, you know, my music when I think it's best and when it's inspired is sort of a revelation to me as I'm writing it, you know, or as I'm, as I would say, I'm more as I'm like revealing it. Mm. You know? Yeah. Um, so I think that, you know, it's, it's, it's like a metaphor for, you know, for that kind of internal and personal development. And I think that what I've wanted to say has changed or has, has refined itself mm. over a period of time. And I think that, uh, you know, it's, it's, but it's also something that rather than like saying like, uh, now I'm like a, folk singer and i used to be like a punk rocker i think that it's the kind of thing where there's a phrase include and transcend you know so it's like you include what came before but you transcend it you know so it's not like you're like i've dismissed all those influences and all those years and all those experiences um but Mm -hmm. rather i would say that what i'm doing now is is sort of built upon all of those influences and and all of those things and it's all it's all integrated uh at least i hope it is you know yeah i I wouldn't want to deny any any part of my own past or experience that 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 makes a lot of sense to me and i've seen that progression in some of my heroes i'm i'm not an east coast person so (laughs) the la punk rock scene would have been more accessible to me you know my parents were la kids as well so but i think of like john doe the band x right sure you know and they go from punk rockers and you know he's just a americana singer now he's an actor too right (laughs) yeah yeah all the things right yeah well that's another extension of how he's evolved his means of expressing himself yeah and so who are like some of your like heroes that kind of inform inform maybe your music and where you're going and maybe let you up sure yeah i mean i think that you know a lot of people that i think are you know i would consider heroes um that inform my music are not necessarily even musicians themselves um i would say that uh, you know when when you first approached me with this the fearless storyteller you know to me it like brought to mind um people like joseph campbell Mm-hmm. You know, who is a who I would say, you know, Joseph Campbell is as much of an influence on my music as is Bob Dylan. Mm. Um, but I would say that uh, my songwriting heroes, you know, which maybe is more close to the intention of your question, I, I definitely have like what my friend, my tour, my uh, my tour manager Mario called my Mount Rushmore. You know, okay. like, yeah, like my favorites. Yeah, uh, I think there are four presidents on Mount Rushmore, but I have five. So that's we'll, okay. We'll have yeah. to cut me some slack. But I would say that uh, Bob Dylan, as I mentioned, yeah, uh, Leonard Cohen, mm-hmm. who I'd say is maybe just like just a big hero of mine. You know, as a the life he lived, not just musically, but mm. he's a real beacon for me. Mm. Uh, Leonard Cohen, mm-hmm. Bruce Springsteen. Um, Towns Van Zant and Johnny Cash. Mm. And growing up, you know, if you'd asked me that question 
a handful of years ago, I would have probably thrown Paul Westerberg in there too. Hmm. Then why does he fall to sixth place? Because <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I I just have a harder time listening to some of that music these days than I than I did. Uh, I don't know. You know, it's been a while. I'd have to revisit some of those replacements records because I, I I was obsessed with with them for a long time. Yeah. But I, uh, I just don't really, you know, get as into the sort of, I mean, there's, he's just so genius with his sort of like self pity, you know, and, uh -huh. and, uh, the, the, like the victimization stuff and crying in my beer and yeah, it, 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 he's a, he's a master of it. But I, um, I find that I, you know, I, I don't, Try. I don't. I don't know. I don't quite get into that as much as I used to these days. If that makes sense. It it is, and I think you you mentioned the 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 pity and the vict self victimization and and maybe what you're getting at is you know when we listen to music, right? It's it it's putting us in a mood and maybe connecting us with memories of where we heard it. And, yeah. You know, maybe that's not something we want to connect with or we don't yeah. resonate with anymore. I don't necessarily want to. Uh sit around and listen to here comes a regular and sort of like be that in that space as much as I, as I would have liked to back in the day, if that makes sense. Yeah. And do you think about that with your own like songwriting, like what effect it has on yourself and other people? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, you know, because my music has taken me to some really interesting places, you know, that I think is relatively unique. Um, you know, along with sort of traditional touring and stuff like that. I've spent a lot of time over the past few years doing shows in prisons and in mm. jail. Mm -hmm. you know, I've, I've probably done, you know, at least 150 concerts in jails and prisons around the country since, uh, you know, 2017, mm. 2016. And that wasn't necessarily deliberate you know, at one point it was just something that kind of, I kind of fell into. And so I, I found myself playing music, you know, to people that were in a particular place in their lives. And, and, um, sometimes, you know, and, and, and it's something that I had to like, I had to learn how to like kind of detach from in a certain way. Cause I would carry that with me after the shows, mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, and put a lot of pressure on myself and kind of put a lot of, um, I'd carry a lot of weight with me, if that made sense. When I was doing, when I, when that, when those kinds of things were really a big part of my life, and yeah, some of the the songs that I wrote that really resonated with people, you know, in and out of prison and jails, but, but you know, there was a reason why the music I wrote really connected with with inmates. But some of those songs were written in, you know, about some really painful times of my own periods yeah. of time, and there have been there have been moments in my performing career where I felt that playing those songs was almost an act of like regression, you know, and, and yeah. kind of time traveling back into, you know, I'd have to, I had to learn really hard to develop the discipline to like shake it off and kind of, someone gave me the phrase, they say, leave the character on the stage, you know, and it was, yeah. I, I, so there was a period of time where I had to stop playing certain songs entirely. And then I, I kind of relearned how to go back there, um, you know, in a more safe and detached way. 
you know, where the performance was still authentic, but that I wasn't necessarily nailing myself to a cross. Yeah. And, you know, I guess it's one thing to leave a character on a stage. It's another thing to leave a younger, more, you know, maybe um, vulnerable (laughs) part of yourself. Sure. Right. It's not quite a character, I guess. And so like, how do you do that then? Like, how do you, how do you access that? And then in a healthy way and, and be able to move past it after you've done the performance. And I ask partly because, you know, there's a lot of people who write in other mediums as well. And maybe some people are writing darker stuff. Right. And that can, in these times influence people right like maybe it's harder to write right now in a dark place and access that when other things are dark right now so are there any like how do you use that like for product in a productive way and then be healthy afterwards yeah well i mean i think it takes some practice you know just i like as at one point i had to like do it a bunch and kind of make myself unhealthy you know to Mm -hmm. like then get to a point where i where i realized that that's what was happening if that makes sense yeah which is which i think is you know for better or worse kind of the way everything goes you know you you just have to develop an awareness at some point but Mm -hmm. but that was a big part of it was was just doing it enough in a way that was damaging that I then got to a point where I, where I had to kind of pay attention to it and acknowledge it, you know? Mm. And, and there were times where, you know, touring, you know, I had to make some decisions on tours about like what, what I was, you know, about how much I was playing and, and things like that. Mm. But um, self-awareness, you know, a lot of self-awareness, a big part of it had to do with, the way I actually, you know, I was playing music that was resonating very intensely with people that were in a vulnerable position themselves. You know, the people that are incarcerated are an incredibly vulnerable group of people. And, and in that context, very receptive, you know, an incredibly receptive and gracious audience too. They were really like, I, part of that experience of playing in prisons was that I had just never been so like validated as an mm. artist before, you know, like I'd never had, that level of intense connection going yeah. on, yeah. you know, like a standing ovation from like a hundred guys doing time in a state prison in the middle of rural Ohio is like not something that a prep school kid from Manhattan ever expected to encounter in his life. And, mm. uh, and I kind of let that get to my head, if that makes sense. Like I, I, I started to think that I had more, more power as a, as an artist and as a person than I actually had and that I had a certain duties or responsibilities to people. And, mm. and, um, so it, I would say that it, it affected my ego mm. and, uh, and I had to develop another level of awareness and humility around that. And, mm. you know, and then I, and then like, just like, you know, then there were some really common sense things where like we would play these shows I remember I was doing it uh, the first time I did a tour of exclusively of playing in prisons. I did this tour of state prisons in Ohio in the summer of 2017. And I was doing it with, with this, this wonderful friend of mine named Sarah, who runs a organization and a nonprofit. She's a director of a nonprofit in Ohio. And she was kind of my de facto tour manager at the time. And 
we happened to discover the TV show Impractical Jokers <laughs> while we were on that tour. Hmm. So we would, you know, have these incredibly heavy days you know, spending time in, in these facilities and making these really intense connections and hearing these really brutal stories. And then we would go home and we would eat food and, you know, watch Impractical Jokers on her laptop you mm-hmm. know? And, like, just, and just laugh and just kind of like unplug it. Yeah. And that was a skill was learning how to unplug it. Yeah. That sounds like fun is kind of a key factor in that maybe. Yeah. Yeah. You got to like, keep it lighter when you're not because I tend to want to live in those dark, heavy places. So I'd come out of the shows and I'd, and that would be all I'd want to talk about. And it would be all I'd want everybody else to know about. And, right. And, uh, you know, at some point I just had to let it go a little bit. Yeah. Hmm. And so, yeah, I'm curious about, you mentioned you're, you're doing this work, you're playing at these correctional facilities and your ego is taking on, you know, this sense of maybe uh, duty and obligation and responsibility, right? Maybe this mission, right? Yeah. And uh, I'm curious, like, what revelations you had to shift your thinking from, from that position, right. To one of humility. Like, what does that mean? Like, what did you have to learn? Where are you at now in relationship to doing these performances? Sure. Um, well, yeah, I mean, and I think that's a good way to put it. I would also say that, you know, a part of the way I would describe it would be, a heightened sense of self-importance, you know, mm. as far as like saving people and, and, and helping people and changing people and transforming things. And yeah. I, I was, I was very, you know, I definitely had a very, you know, it disproportionate sense of, of my own importance in that kind of context. And, and I would say that just, you know, time, like I said, practice and time were a big part of it, but I stopped doing it for a while. And yeah. then I, and then I reapproached it with a very different mindset, but I definitely had to take a, a pretty substantial break. I just like, I had to take a big break from touring in general for up until 2018. I had been on tour for so long, you know, yeah. really heavily through 2016, 2018, I was on tour and I took a break and I didn't go at the, in the fall of 2018, I stopped playing and I didn't go back until the spring of 2019. Mm. But um, I, uh, I would say that, I I also had to do a lot of like service work that was not part of my career, you know, and like not part of, you know, there's a thing. It's like, if you do something that's like service, but you're mm-hmm. still doing it with self-seeking motives, it's not service. And it's, it can be really deeply spiritually poisoning. Mm. So what I kind of, what I, what I, what the revelations that occurred to me in my time off, was that, you know, what I was doing, even though it to other people, you know, people that would follow me on social media or, or whatever, that what I was doing was very, you know, seemingly special and, and like altruistic. And, and, it, and it was, I mean, those motives were there, but there was definitely a part of me that was doing it, um, you know, for selfish reasons. 
and I wasn't conscious of that yeah. at the time. And so it took me time away to understand that like, I still had like expectations for what I was going to get out of it. I had a, mm-hmm. demand, a, a sense of the, like the image of myself I was building, yeah. all sorts of things like that. So I, I just had to come to terms with the fact that like my, I wasn't doing it all for the right reasons. And then I had to figure out if I'm going to do it, I, how do I do it for the right reasons? Hmm. And it's 2020. Do you have a better answer of that now? I mean, right now, everything is upside down. When people, you know, listen to this podcast, they'll have to remember that we're in the middle of like coronavirus. Quarantine. Right. It's, it's March 20th as we record this. This will probably come out mid-April. Yeah. So we'll I, still be there. <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. I mean, it'll still be, shows will still be canceled, but like. Yeah it's an interesting moment because I, I had a bunch of stuff canceled and a um, bunch of tour dates canceled. And then I, in April, I was going to do a bunch of Fridays at uh, concerts at Manhattan detention complex. Mm. And, you know, and I was looking forward to that. And I would say that um, just being aware of, of what, of, the, of everything I just described to you would change yeah. my attitude as I, a, you know, accept the offer to do service or, or like, or, or search, search it out myself. You know I mean? Like I have relationships with, with social workers and people that work in nonprofits and things like that. So I'm constantly sort of, you know, figuring out things that we can do to try to be helpful. But like, I, Hmm. I have that in the back of my head now in a way that I'm aware of that I wasn't before. So when I make decisions, it's like, I'm also a little more inclined to say no to certain things if I'm not really able to do it or mm. not you know necessarily in the best state of mind you know then i i don't feel the same level of pressure mm. you know to have, to have to always do it but i um so it sounds like there was a piece of like your needs that were being unmet by how you were doing things well it's, I, I it's mean, kind I, of what i'm is what i'm at least connecting to maybe it's my own story attaching there but no, I think that's there. I, I definitely ran myself ragged, as they say. Like, there were times when I would be on these tours where I, I, I've done, I think, like, the most I did, I did, like, seven shows in one day. And, yeah. uh, and mm. you know, because if, if you play a county jail, like a big county jail where they can't mix the populations and they're yeah. all in these different pods, I would go and do an hour in each pod, you know, and it would be wow. like, before I knew it. I'd that's just, a lot of energy. <laughs> Yeah. It was, it, it was like, and I would do that day after day while mm. drive, while driving around, you know, from state to state, it was like yeah. an unbelievably grueling experience. But I, in my head, I was like, I, Oh, you know, I gotta, I have to show up for everybody. I can't, you know, I like, again, a really inflated sense of self-importance. And I, you know, I think it's good to want to be helpful and all those things, but not at that expense, you know, at the expense yeah. of my own my own health and then and it was unsustainable you know yeah. it was an unsustainable thing so so yes there is a degree of like a better i would say a better perspective or proportionality or things like that that i would you know apply to my decision making process today. right right now i get the sense that there's like this you know maybe some deeper mission behind what you're doing today that maybe when you started um, I hope so. Yeah. Uh, you want to like talk about some of that? Like 
your intentions today with what you're hoping to express like uh, you know I, I, coming to mind specifically like the just one foundation and some of that work yeah i mean the, the foundation is is you know something that came about in order to you know sort of it, it was sort of organically came about to support these various tours you know where we were performing in not just correctional facilities but schools and rehabs and community centers and churches and places that we felt you know communities that were potentially underserved and we could provide a service mm. um you know but i i would say that uh my attitudes about you know i, I would say that i've become a little more self-reflective at this point and mm. um you know the mission is to is to serve but i think also you know the mission for me is to really like we were talking i mentioned joseph campbell and and he you know he takes a lot of his influence or a lot of his ideas from carl jung and mm -hmm. carl jung you know talks a lot about you know this inside job that like you know we're, what our primary task is to like resolve our own darkness you know before we can go out and save the world and i think a lot of a lot of times, you know, it's tempting to want to go out and save the world because I don't want to necessarily address some of my own, my own issues, my own anger, my own uh, bitterness, my own fear. And yeah. so, so I would say that going forward today, there's another layer of awareness of that and knowing that like whatever it is I'm angry about or fearful about or responding to in the outside world, yeah, I have to address it in myself first because I don't think that my actions actually are imbued with any real power or transformative property if they're motivated from my own fear. So I, I spend a lot of time in prayer and meditation and in service just to try to deal with that stuff. So I'm not putting it on other people, you know, mm -hmm. in the, in under the guise, under the pretense of doing service for them, you know, and, and I right. think that's an important thing to be aware of. Right. Having that awareness now, like, is that, do you see that reflected in your like energy or health or writing process? I see it reflected in my peace of mind and I see it reflected in, yeah, I mean, I see that as the path, you know, whereas a year ago or, or, as a younger guy, like I would have seen my path and my growth more in terms of like the career benchmarks mm. and, you know, external benchmarks and external achievements. And, you know, unfortunately those things, fortunately or unfortunately, whatever we can reserve judgment, but those things still mean a lot to me and, yeah. you know, affect my confidence and self-esteem and inevitably we like compare I compare myself to other people and things like that, but, sure. but I would, I would say that my internal development is of higher priority to me today than my career development, at least, or like the balance is different than it was. If I were to like say that those two things were in direct proportion to each other, which I think they often are as like, you know, like an inner soul conflict. I'm like, what yeah. do I really, what am I about here? Yeah. I would say that I'm I'm trying my hardest to lean into a state a, a state of awareness or a state of connectedness where like my own internal resolutions are more 
of more, you know, import than yeah, than those ex- those out those external achievements, the, the yeah. career goals. That that's making a lot of sense for me. I I leaned out heavily out of being like a a brand and a performer when I started having these kind of revelations about my own internal intentions. Sure. And not necessarily being aware of them and having them articulated and coming to realize that actually a lot of the things I was doing action-wise were not in alignment with everything that I'd learned yeah. and, and come to know about myself. So I, I definitely remember that moment of pause and coming to a halt. And I, I remember being on a stage like in 2014 and having that moment playing for people and being like every single person in this audience has their own story that's as valid as my own. Right. And like realizing that I wanted that connection. Yeah. And that exchange and not to be so one directional, which was really profound for me. Having that insight is an achievement. Yeah, I think so. And so (laughs) like we're in this unexpected transition, right? With everything going on. Yeah. And like, how do you make the most of this time? You mean being, being, you know, off the road and quarantine and all those. (laughs) Yeah. Just in the midst of disruption. Well, I think that what I just, you know, what we just talked about is of huge importance going into a situation like this, because I, I know that I felt like I, I was like scrolling through Instagram a couple of days ago and obviously there's like a ton of sort of fear that's mm-hmm. that exists in the collective consciousness around an incident like this. Mm-hmm. But more striking to me than that was that there started to be an, an abundance of posts that I saw where people were like, Shakespeare wrote King Lear while he was in isolation from the trade. <laughs> yes, and I saw then, that a lot. <laughs> yeah, and then I was like, are you serious? Like you're putting that kind of, like that's the pressure that I'm now under is like I have to write King Lear by the end of this? Like, and <laughs> yeah. you know, like I, I, it to me, people's need to turn this into, into another way of like being quote productive was a was a beautiful window into the into that same like fear-based mentality where it was like people like just cannot be quiet and reflective for a minute and so i've had to fight a lot of like anxiety about like how do i exploit this situation you know like or maybe that's a that's a loaded word but like how do i innovate within this context and i i've had to really just like I don't know. I had, I had a really intense experience the other a couple of days ago where like I felt for a moment, you know, that there was a lessening of expectation to, to be productive and to achieve during this moment of time. And I felt like someone had taken me out of my pod in the matrix. Mm. You know, uh-huh. like, yeah. I was kind of like, Whoa, could I like possibly feel this way every day? You know, like, does it have to be like, like, and people are just dying to jump back into the rat race, you know, yeah. and they're, and they, they're making this the rat race. It's like, how do we, you know, I, and to me, it's, it's one of these things where if there can be any kind of like radical reevaluation of values, then this mm. whole thing is a real blessing in that sense. And mm. I just am tempted, I, I, I just don't want to act 
Like in a situation like this where, I, where there is the luxury of a little more space to breathe in, in making my decisions, yeah. I would rather like try to recenter myself and act from a place of, of groundedness and, and security and connectedness rather than all of these, you know, whatever I'm fear I'm spewing into the world about how I need to get this and get that you know, and well, make it yeah. happen, make that happen and make this happen. I mean, the, I suppose you're having to let go of some goals that you had for the year. Right. I mean, let go or not. I'm yeah. not boring this, this month or next month, you know? Yeah. It's out you of know, your control, whether yeah. you, you like it or not, I guess. Right. Yeah. I, I, I vibe everything you're saying. You yeah. Know. It's like one of those things where I get when, the, you know, people have a, you know, it's like a mild near death experience where something kind of like, you know, a bit, a bit of the curtain is pulled back and you mm. see like, Oh, a lot of this, all this shit is made up. You know, all of this is like a big game people are electing to play because right. as soon as this happens, everything is changed and you saw how fragile it was in the first place. Yeah. And I, I just kind of hope similar to the way a near death experience works. It's like, I don't want, I don't want this to wear off, you know, like, I, I, when, when things are back to normal, I hope I can savor and bring with me a little piece of this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's, that's, that's a worthwhile perspective to share and to feel. I'm, I'm, I really appreciate that you're in a position to, to feel that way and experience that and give yourself permission to slow down a little bit. Yeah, I, I mean, and I'll say though, it is a luxury. It's a luxurious place to be because, fortunately, you know, I mean, like I'm, I'm not, I, I like financially, like I'm not doing, I'm not like a fucking rock star, but like I, I, uh, I'm like I'm, I'm making it through this month, you know, like I'm yeah. okay right now. Like I, yeah. like I'm in my house. Like I have a good, I have a, my brother my, would help me if I needed, you know. So I. I have a little more of a, the luxury of having that attitude because I'm not mass. Like I don't feel the blade right now. If that yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. There are a lot of people that are, that are in a, in a more desperate place than me in that sense. Mm. But, but even for those people, it's like, I, you know, I, I make the humble suggestion to just sort of be like, write this, like stay present. Like, do you have what you need to get you through the next hour? You know, like to get you through the next, just the next day yeah and, uh, you know yeah. but I don't I don't have any kids or anything like that so I you know I can't imagine the pressure of something like that when when all this comes falling apart so I yeah. you know my heart goes out to the people that are in a more vulnerable spot than, than I am yeah I, I hear you and you know locally you know not really talking politics is talking life but you know the, one of the first things they did here was closed the homeless shelters and then they closed the libraries and it's like where do these people go yeah <laughs> just like and yeah just a big question mark you know like things to think about but but, that, but those yeah. are the right things to think about yeah you know? like that's why i i question anybody who feels they need to now go and write king lear because like I, I like that. I, I would rather be helping, you know, elderly people in my apartment building that maybe don't have their usual caretakers. If that situation were to arrive, you know, rather yeah. than like focusing on like, how do I like, 
how do I make the most of this in that real yeah. type A kind of way? You know? well, on the flip side, you could probably write King Lear just an hour a day and have. That's true, man. But that's, but that's not how I felt when I read that post. I didn't have a very <laughs> yeah. balanced reaction where I was like, I mean, I don't need a quarantine to do that. I, you know, like I could just be disciplined about my work. Mm. Mm. But, um, what I felt was that it was like, you know, that it, the, the, the intentionality or the energy behind some of that sentiment was, it was motivated from that, from a darker place, from a, a place of absence and poverty and rather than like, you know, what's really important right now. Cause yeah. I, if the creativity, like I, I came up with something the other day, I actually, I got asked to write a blog and that just arose, you know, that was like spontaneous. And, and that was something that when I woke up that morning, you know, I had said, show, you know, show me what you want me to do today. You know, how can I be of service today? And that message came, you know, across my computer and was like, all right, mm -hmm. so that's what I'm going to do. And I'll try to be helpful in that capacity. But, uh, but you know, when I wake up in the morning feeling like I'm already too little, too late. That's a problem. Yeah. Hmm. For people who are listening right now, right? And like, and we have these big, we have these big goals, right? All of us. And, you know, that's one reality, right? That's the future, kind of future tense. And then we have where we are right now. And it sounds like you're putting, offering a, big invitation to slow down and be anchored and maybe a little, there's a chance to be in community and connected with ourselves and family and friends. Um, yeah. What else, what else is there? Well, I mean, I think that, that that's all correct, you know, and I think that, um, like I said, it'll be a little unfortunate. I think if, all does just go back to normal and people sort of don't take anything away from it or I don't can't really put it on people it's sort of again my own reaction to this but yeah I think that it's one of those things where you know there's the, the, these things happen for a reason too you know and and it's the, it's the it's the earth's way it's the planet's way of saying you need to chill you know, amongst many other things that are happening in the world today, you know, this is, this is only like, that's another, I believe an error to make is to not see this as connected to, to everything else, you know, mm. And, mm. and, uh, you know, and to not ask those questions, like when you're talking about the homeless shelters closing and you're saying, where are those people going? You yeah. know, that's, that's an important question to ask. And, yeah. uh, so for so people, so for people who are, like vulnerable right now, right? And whether they're homeless or at risk of maybe, you know, relapsing or whatever it is, right? And maybe yeah. feeling isolated and disconnected, right? Like, like what can we do? Uh, if well, anything, right? Yeah, no, I mean, and I, 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 <clears throat> I'll preface that anything I say you know, and, and this whole time, but especially now I, I try to preface with, with some humility and, and, you know, I have no authority on anything uh, besides just my own personal experience. And I'm, mm. 
not really even qualified to speak about that sometimes, <laughs> but uh, I think that what can people do? Um, there's a, there's another phrase that I like a lot that from a guy named a poet named Robert Bly. Hmm. And he said that um, if you haven't been fed, become bread, you know? So it's like, I think people can, can sort of relieve some of their own fear by trying mm. to be helpful to other people at the moment. Mm. The, the preoccupation with self gets put on pause when you, when you sort of get in service to someone else. And, uh, you know, and it helps stay present because another part of this is like, like I said, like right now, like I'm good, you know, I have, I have what I need and I, it's not going to help me to be to be obsessing about july you know or august it's not that's not going to be useful it's sort of like what is my immediate you know context right now and then you know i don't know like play chess with somebody you know (laughs) like you can i don't know if you're like in that you know all these social distancing things but but um you know i think that trying to be helpful and yeah, there's just like ways to know what some common sense stuff like I don't you know spending too much time watching the news probably isn't a good idea you know spending too much time mm. with things that are agitating like social media and stuff like that but mm. uh, but trying to be useful you know and like genuinely useful sometimes being useful means staying out of somebody's way too you know but sometimes i think i think just taking it as a as a staying disciplined like i'm doing my best to go to bed early and wake up early you know i'm tempted to drink an extra cup of highly caffeinated something in the morning because i'm like well i don't necessarily have anywhere i need to show up right now so i can right. like i can just sort of get a little lifted right now and you know to avoid indulging some of the the compulsions that come up you know, and sort of refocusing my efforts and hmm. things like that. Just in general, like understanding that a moment like this, I think is a, is, it's, it's more important to operate with self-awareness and with discipline than in, than in a time where things are, are not, you know, where things are normal. Because this is actually a time where you, I think people have more opportunity to be useful than they might in a normal context. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. It's really compassionate. Um, for people who want to know more about you, Matt, how can they find you? Um, well, everything you know on social media has conveniently got the same tag. So I'm at Matt Butler Songs, mm. uh, which is on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Everything is at Matt Butler Songs, and my website is www.mattbutlersongs.com. And I will say that I just am beginning today, um, at least to advertise it, that I'm going to be booking virtual concerts. Uh, All right. So, on. Oh, yeah, we're doing little like Zoom conferences or Google Meet conferences. I might end up using a different platform at some point, but I'm going to be doing personal virtual concerts for people that can be booked uh, through my website. So if anybody's listening, right on. Well, yeah, if you want to show go check it out right on i think we can all use a little music more music in our households right now so that's awesome well matt matt butler it's been a pleasure having you on the show thank you ethan it's been a pleasure to talk to you 
I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Fearless Storyteller. As a reminder, any and all links can be found in the show notes. And if you're enjoying this podcast, will you please consider leaving a review? By doing so, you'll be helping new listeners discover the Fearless Storyteller podcast. I was praying.